207 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to give our initial reactions to week one in the USFL, talk about a few of our favorite late round dart throws over on drafters in the early best ball championship. And we're also going to play a clip from our new YouTube series so you guys can sort of get a uh, taste for what we're doing over on YouTube if you want to check that out. Before we get into all of that, Joey, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. How are you? You know, I'm not too bad. Um, It's probably a good thing that USFL betting was not legal in week one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if anybody follows us, uh, you would have saw on Twitter that we did a combined article. What what do they call that in the journalism world? (laughs) Put me on the spot. I don't don't fucking... um, You're uh, you're supposed to know these things. (laughs) You're the journalist. I don't know a collaboration. Huh. Yeah, so we I just guess. did we just did a collaboration article for our best bets in the USFL. Currently, they're two and two, so you know, not terrible. Obviously, for a league that just started, I think fifty percent is pretty solid. And then my last bet is going tonight, so we'll know the outcome of that when this pot is out. You know, we're we're either going to be three and two, sixty percent, or two and three, forty percent. But yeah, it was was good to write that article and uh, I think we had a we I think we had a pretty good understanding of these teams and kind of predicted how the games would play out and you know got some unfortunate runouts in terms of the bets but yeah I, th- I thought it was pretty solid for the article and yeah and and know. I think we'll be doing this article all year for action which is is pretty dope uh, to work with action they're you know obviously a really great resource in the betting community so it, it's cool to make that connection but sort of taking it beyond our picks, what were your reactions to the initial three games in the USFL? Because game four got PPD'd and is kicking off about an hour from now when we record. But we have watched the first three games. I know that you watched every minute of every game. I caught all <laughs> of the first two. So, I mean, we've we've had a decent amount of exposure at this point. What, uh, what are your reactions to the USFL so far? Yeah, so my initial reaction was that I think there's definitely room for the USFL for this year and in years on. I think that they can obviously work on some things in, in terms of, you know, the drone angles and, and the broadcast angles and just from a production standpoint. But I think that they did a pretty good job with the rules. I think that having the helmet cams is, is pretty sick. And in, in the first game, they showed the helmet cam of the guy that did a blindside block on, on like a kickoff or like a punt returner or something. So it's like pretty dope to see that and see the perspective of, you know, blockers and whatnot. And I think the coaches being mic'd up is pretty interesting hearing them call the plays and send the plays into their quarterbacks and whatnot. And the on-field interviews, I think just the product itself is pretty dope. And obviously in terms of football, the play isn't going to be great. These guys aren't professionals by any stretch. These guys are practice squad players at best in the NFL, but obviously we're so accustomed to seeing high level football in the NFL that watching games like this might make people mad, but I'm just glad to have football back on, honestly. Yeah, I mean, God, I mean, I've been watching like 
a disgusting amount of MLB recently, and this was far yeah. more entertaining. And, and to your point about like having the coaches mic'd up, you can hear their halftime speeches. They've got hot mics all over the field for players and on the sidelines. I mean, there was one point where the dudes, like it was the offensive coordinator for one of the teams I can't remember, but like the communications were on, and he was getting so pissed that he couldn't communicate to his quarterback, yeah. and he just <laughs> heard the whole thing. And it, man, I I really enjoyed you know watching it. And at the end of the day, obviously, like you said. The, the on-field talent is nothing to write home about, but if we can bet on it and we can watch football for 12 weeks, you know, from April to, to June and, and the beginning of July, I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. Which they've embraced the betting aspect because they know that's going to be a large portion of the people tuning in are people gambling on this sport. So, you know, before the game, they say the spread and the total, uh, they kind of bring it up throughout the game as well. And they talk about it after the games are over as well. So I think that's pretty dope just from a betting perspective. And I, th I think people are just going to hate anything new and different. Uh, I've seen a lot of people say that they like the USFL and, ex and it's exciting on Twitter. And I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, the, the games are horrible and they're, and they're not going to watch because the quarterback play or the drones, they don't like the drones and the different angles. And I think that's just because people are used to one way of consuming football and that's the NFL and how they do things. But I think throwing, you know, a new wrinkle in with this league, I, I think it's good for the sport in general. And I think it's good for entertainment and some, and the games were good. Like we had three close games for the first three games of the season. Uh, they were all one possession games and, and they all came down to like the final drive. Yeah. So, Inclu so including a come from behind, you know, win yeah, a victory. Yeah. Like, 22nd win for the Stallions. Shout out to my Stallions minus two and a half pick in the action article. But yeah, I mean, three pretty solid games and now we, we have football on year round. I mean, I'm, I'm not complaining, honestly. Yeah. I mean, we just have to wait, you know, here in New York for it to come. Apparently the license for them to be, you know, a bettable league has passed in New York. So I don't know what the holdup is. We're still waiting on that. Still can't play usfl dfs which was probably a good thing to miss this week if you've you know been tuned into yeah. the entire DraftKings debacle we can get to that in a second but the only access to actual betting we had was on prize picks uh how how, how did you do on prize picks for usfl yeah so through the first three games i am negative 80 dollars and obviously i've been playing a little bit light with the usfl new league we don't have much information surrounding these guys, just kind of using my personal process and how I think that some of these players will play out and, and just kind of using the uncertainty for unders. I think unders are the most profitable bets, just period, in prop betting in football. So when we get a new league like this, I've just been kind of focusing on hitting unders with some of these guys and hasn't worked out, to say the least. <laughs> um, you know, I had a nice entry Yesterday with Shea Patterson under 170 and a half passing yards and Anthony Ratliff Williams, the Houston receiver under receiving yards. He finished with negative one. So shout out to that play. And then I had the right read on Michigan, you know, run first team. They ran the ball 40 times, had a 60% clip. Uh, Shea Patterson gets benched, but then he comes back in in the second half because Paxton Lynch is dog shit and absolutely snaps because they were losing the entire game finished with 192 passing yards so I lost that and then I lost my second en entry uh from a tight end who scored a touchdown on one of his three catches a mm -hmm. wide open touchdown 
just pure pain. Just yeah, just, I mean, just pure pain. But got a couple bets going tonight, so hopefully we can uh, run good tonight. But hasn't been too forgiving, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I only had one and caught a fat L on that, so we're trying to bounce back tonight. What do you think about the whole DraftKings debacle? I mean, if you missed this, DraftKings did run USFL DFS in states where they were able to. And I guess they had some sort of bug in the system where all of the ownerships for the games that hadn't yet been played were on display, which is obviously, you know, a huge L for them. You know, that's just fumbling the bag. They were about to like refund, I think, the entries or refund losses, if I'm not mistaken. Right. That's what it was. So they they originally were going to just end the contest because the game got postponed on Sunday night. But then people showed them their own rules, their own house rules, and was like, the game is still part of it as long as it gets played before Wednesday at midnight. So then they ended up changing that. But what happened was, if you enter $10, you were winning five and you were losing five, you would still receive your winning entry. Say say you did the two entries for $5, you would receive the profit for the winning entry and you would be refunded your losing entry. So basically, any money that you entered on DraftKings for USFL got free rolled for week one because they fucked up so badly. That's a huge, huge mistake on DraftKings part because they had actually opened these contests pretty large with some big prize pools. So, it, I mean, it was interesting yeah, to see them be like so often. they gave out like free tickets. Oh, of course, because, I mean, <laughs> they're never going to give over layout. I mean, we know yeah, DraftKings, they, I'm, I'm over that. Yeah. It was just a, it was just a huge debacle. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, obviously, you saw some of the, the sharps out there, the big spenders get pissed and DraftKings changed their mind like that, man, like they were not about to upset these customers. You don't you don't want to have the dudes who are dropping, you know, 150 maxes on a brand new league in week one upset at you. I mean, you're, you're still trying to profit off of this league. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I would expect them to continue to run USFL throughout the season because obviously there's a market for it the prize pools definitely aren't going to be as big as they were this week um but i I think moving forward they'll probably focus on not fucking up as bad as they did this week because it it was pretty bad you would hope and i mean rest assured if if we are able to play usfl dfs we will pot about it so uh look yep. forward to the you know potential of usfl dfs in new york and you know the potential of some usfl dfs podcasts hitting your feed however in the meantime we pivot to you know our first love our original love and that is the nfl and i want to talk about some of our late round dart throws you know we always talk about in these best ball tournaments that the games aren't won in the first and second rounds. You know, the games are won on the guys you can hit on late. So we're going to talk about a pair of guys each here that we're taking late in these drafts. I mean, I'm looking at guys who are past pick 200. These are 20 round drafts. So, you know, who are you taking with your last couple of picks that you think has some upside in this tournament? Yeah. So one of my favorite picks, I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with this, is Antonio Brown in the 20th round. So currently, AB is not on a team, and we're all aware of the huge controversy slash debacle slash fuck up slash whatever else you want to call it with AB and the Bucks and how that played out and 
we're all aware of all the reports about him not wanting to get surgery unless he's signed to a team, whatever, whatever, whatever. And obviously that's baked into his ADP in the 20th round. I just personally believe that in terms of value and ranges of outcomes and what do you win, you know, when you win and what do you win when you draft AB in the 20th round if he hits uh cuz we're we're drafting players as if we're going to be right about every player. I think AB in the 20th round is one of the best picks you can make because I think his most likeliest outcome for this season is he gets surgery and he signs to a team. You know, whether that be in April or August or September, I think we'll get five, six, seven games out of Antonio Brown for the 2022 season, especially after injuries start hitting. He said that he wants to play. Like, that's not even a question. He's he's not trying to retire. We know his upside is high when he's healthy, so the ceiling is extremely high. It's just the floor is obviously zero, but at the end of the day, you're spending a 20th round pick on a guy that has top 10 receiver potential if he were to play 17 games, and you're just not getting that type of upside with any other player in the last two rounds of the draft, and I'd just be willing to take a shot on Antonio Brown for the 2022 season, and if he doesn't play a game, it's not killing you because, again, he's a 20th round pick. So I just think the the risk is, is very, very, very low in the reward is sky high with Antonio Brown for this year. So that is why he is my favorite pick past 200 in best ball currently. So I like your argument. You know, I agree that in terms of risk reward, you're not risking much and the reward could be very high. But I just personally, in my soul, do not believe that Antonio Brown is going to play another snap of of professional football ever again, unless he joins the USFL. Because he is not playing another down in the NFL, all right? It's not like he did something that the league doesn't care about. You know, it's not like he disrespected women or something like that. He disrespected the game. He ripped his shirt off in the middle of a broadcast, took his his gear off, and walked off the field. You know, he disrespected the spirit of the game. No coach is going to take a chance on a guy like that. You know, that's Mm. against the NFL's morals. (laughs) Did you say NFL and morals? Yeah. Did you know that a guy that allegedly assaulted 20 plus women is going to play in the NFL this year? Yeah, but he didn't disrespect the game. <laughs> That's what they care about. It's the game. You can disrespect women, you know, whoever you want, but you don't disrespect the game. Not to these guys. I don't I don't believe that at all. <laughs> uh, no, I mean you know, maybe you're right and he doesn't play another down. I'll take the L on that. But like I said, at the end of the day, 20th round pick, you're expecting a zero out of those guys anyways. Mm-hmm. Like the percent in which they make your lineup in best ball is probably 1% or less. You know, unless you really, really smash on that late round guy and he comes into, you know, a sizable workload, whether that be a running back or, you know, you you draft the next Lamar Jackson and Malik Willis that late or whomever. So you can obviously hit on those late guys, but the majority of time, they're just going to be zeros in your lineup and you're going to look afterwards and and be like why did i fucking draft ashton doolin in the 18th round (laughs) you know why did i draft john ross when you're looking back at your teams come december 
So I'd rather just take the chance on Antonio Brown, who, if given the opportunity, will produce at a high level. We've seen it year in and year out. I think he could still play. He's shown it last year with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, and I think he will play games in 2022. I don't know how many games he will play, but I think he will play games in the NFL in 2022. I I respectfully disagree, but I don't disagree with the premise of your argument. And I don't think it's a bad pick. It's just not a pick that I'm personally making in my initial 150 here. Things can obviously change if he does find a landing spot. However, I do do think this is the time to do it. You know, you embrace the uncertainty because this is when the upside is highest. And, you know, a wide receiver that I'm taking in the 20th round, and, and you said that, you know, with these guys, we should expect zeros, but I'm not expecting zeros out of Terrace Marshall. Let's think about Terrace Marshall for the Panthers. He is in a situation where right now he is the wide receiver three with a bad quarterback in Sam Darnold, but I think that that situation could change very quickly. And he's still a guy who has second round draft capital. He's young. He's not even 22. He has good size. He's got good measurables. He's 6'2", 205, runs a 4'4". You know, he's an athletic guy and he has the draft capital for the Panthers to want to be back in on him. And the only real obstacle for Terrace Marshall right now is Robbie Anderson because he's a Robbie Anderson trade away from being the wide receiver two here. Obviously, DJ Moore is going to be the wide receiver one, but Terrace Marshall has a very clear path to being the wide receiver too. And I think that this is written on the walls that Robbie Anderson has basically talked himself out of a job because the indications are that the Panthers have the inside track on Baker Mayfield. And Robbie Anderson, you know, when he reads this on Ian Rappaport's Twitter, just says no with a bunch of O's. Like he he was not <laughs> subtle about it. He's like, nah, we don't want that bum Baker over here. So I can tell you right now that the the Browns have a need at wide receiver outside of Amari Cooper. They've got a bunch of bums and, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz. Like he's obviously not going to be playing on a team where Baker Mayfield's the quarterback. He made that clear on Twitter. So I think the path for Terrace Marshall, uh, you know, a guy who has potentially a decent amount of talent is is there to elevate on this roster especially if Baker Mayfield gets traded and you know it, he could go from being the wide receiver 3 to of Sam Darnold to the wide receiver 2 of Baker Mayfield. I think that's well within the range of outcomes and he's absolutely free. Nobody is drafting him. You can get him in the 20th round right now. Yeah, I I think Terrace Marshall is definitely a good upside pick in the 20th round especially if you're projecting Robbie Anderson to be a part of the Baker Mayfield trade, which personally, I think for both sides, it it would make a ton of sense to ship Robbie off. He's obviously, you know, spoken against Baker Mayfield coming to Carolina, which I really don't understand because I would rather have Baker over Sam Darnold. But then again, Sam Darnold and Robbie have played together quite a bit in their careers. So yeah, he's probably just you know, trying to inspire confidence in, in his boy, Sam. But I could definitely see Robbie being a part of the trade. But then again, even with Baker, it could still be a run-first offense. Um, it could be an offense centered around Christian McCaffrey, which it likely will be. Terrace Marshall obviously didn't show much in his rookie year, and, and that's definitely concerning. But I think if everything works out in terms of this trade, Terrace Marshall will definitely see an increase in value over the next couple of weeks in best ball. So I think it would definitely be better to buy him right now while his value is at the stone floor of where it might be in a month. Yeah. And I mean, even without Baker Mayfield 
being traded to the Panthers. I do think that there's, you know, a decent possibility that Robbie Anderson is on the trade block. That was rumored prior to any of this. And I mean, you know, ownership and the coaches can't like that. They're like debating a potential quarterback move and they've got a wide receiver on their team speaking out against it. Like that's just not a good look. I'm sorry. So yeah. I don't know. I don't think Robbie Anderson is a lock to be on the Panthers regardless of the, of the Baker Mayfield trade. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that as well. All right. Give me one more guy here that you were targeting past pick 200. Yeah. So I, I have two guys actually and they both fit the same you know criteria so you could target them pretty much at the same rate um you know take one in one draft take another in the other draft and that is Harrison Bryant and Cameron Brait so Cam Brait tight end for the Bucks Bryant the tight end two for the Cleveland Browns and as 20th round picks obviously we're not expecting much out of these backup tight ends and you know it's a tight end position who really gives a fuck? But some of these late round tight end guys can have spike weeks and their costs are so low that I think it's definitely worth taking a chance on some of these guys like Bright and Harrison Bryant. And, you know, Bryant's a Najoku injury away from being the tight end one on what I think is one of the better offenses in the NFL when Watson is starting for the Browns. And he is a, you know, Mackey Award winner best tight end in college so he he has some some pedigree at the tight end position and we've played him a couple times in, in DFS and you know he's been solid for us and either way I still think he's going to be on the field even with Njoku there so so you might get a touchdown week out of him and, and that's 10 points and that'll probably make your lineup right uh, so I, I like Harrison Bryant there and then Cameron Bright right now as the tight end one of the Tampa Bay Bucks, I mean, 20th round is just way too late for a player that could be full-time if Gronk decides he doesn't want to come back. I think the assumption is, yeah, Gronk is coming back and he's, what, like a ninth, 10th round pick or somewhere around there. But what if he doesn't come back? You know, what if he decides that he doesn't want to play football anymore? And Cameron Bright is the only tight end there since they shipped off OJ Howard and he's the tight end one and has shown that he can be a capable pass catcher and a red zone threat. I just think the opportunity for these guys to produce and and make your lineup is higher than their value at a 20th round ADP. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I mean, is it a hot take to think that there's a reality where Harrison Bryant falls into being the Browns tight end one just strictly off production. I mean, it's not like Njoku is a player who hasn't been disappointing for the duration of his career. I mean, I know he's more athletic and comes with more draft pedigree and they just, you know, extended him or re-signed him or whatever. But like, I don't know, Harrison Bryant could be the tight end one in my opinion. And Njoku's just a guy that I'm not buying at cost. It seems like his cost is not, you know, equal to what he's been able to do in the NFL so far. Yeah, no, I mean... I agree. That's definitely a hot take, and everybody's expecting Najoku to to kind of take the leap now with a Watson at quarterback. And you know, I, I've been buying Najoku in Watson stacks, but that's really the only time I would I would consider Najoku because he he is a little bit pricey uh, for a guy that really hasn't produced at a at a consistent level and has shown that you know he's not going to earn targets at a very high rate in the NFL. So yeah, I definitely think it's in the range that. Harrison Bryant ultimately can become the tight end one for Cleveland. 
And like I said, he has, you know, high-level college pedigree. He was very, very good in, in college. He went to uh, Florida Atlantic and won the the best tight end award. So mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a guy that can play. And, you know, if Njoku were to ever get hurt, he's the tight end one for the Browns in an elite offense. And, you know, he posted over 1,000 yards in his last year in college. So the, this is a guy that has pass-catching pedigree, and I think, He's definitely being a little undervalued as the tight end two in that offense. And it's not like other tight end twos aren't being drafted, you know, like there there's tight end twos being drafted above Harrison Bryant in best ball right now. So I, I just think his value is extremely low and the reward can be pretty decent if things work out for Harrison Bryant. I'm on the same page. I like that. I have not been drafting too much Harrison Bryant, but I'm going to move him up my rankings, make sure I get a little bit more of him as I get through these final parts of my best ball portfolio for the early championship. And and I want to keep it with the Browns here because my last guy is also on the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, I've been talking about him on Twitter. I talked about him on another podcast I went on. Uh, I don't think I've talked about him here yet, though. And and I need to make my position known because this is going to be one of my highest owned players. And that's Dearness Johnson, the current RB3 for the Cleveland Browns. He's going at about pick 214 to 16 on drafters. And I think it's pretty simple that there are just so many outs to Dearness Johnson paying off. I mean, he's not likely to be a major player for you all year, but he has sort of that rare upside where he's going to get the full role if somebody goes down in front of him. And he's a Kareem Hunt trade away from being the RB2 behind Nick Chubb, which would make him the primary pass catcher. He has shown pass catching upside so far in his career, had a game last year with seven receptions on eight targets, had three games last year with over 20 points on DraftKings and spot starts for the Browns. And this Browns offense is one that should see quite a bit of improvement, should be in scoring position more. And I just think that You know, we've seen up to this point that when Nick Chubb gets hurt, Kareem Hunt does not get the full workload. They're going to work Dearness in. If Kareem Hunt gets hurt, Nick Chubb is not going to get the full workload. They're going to get Dearness in there. So he has an injury path to work through two different players on a good offense, and he has some independent value if Kareem Hunt were to get traded, and there have been those rumors as of late. So I don't know. I just think there's multiple paths to success, and as, as you know, you need these players in best ball. You know, these guys who are going to make spot starts, it's best to take shots at the running back position where injuries are most frequent. And I don't know, I just love the potential upside of Dearness Johnson with a final round pick. I mean, he's the perfect type of RB5 and I've been drafting a ton of him. Yeah, no, I mean, you definitely convinced me to start drafting a more Dearness Johnson for sure. You know, everything that you said makes sense. He has a lot of pass to becoming a fantasy relevant back. And, you know, we, we've seen it in best ball that these running backs in these roles uh, over the course of the season can be league winners. And we saw it with your team on, on drafters last year with, uh, you know, Daryl Williams mm-hmm. as, as a guy kind of very similar to Dearness Johnson in 2021. Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, low price tag for a guy that has shown that he can produce if given the opportunity and is you know an injury or trade away from having a pretty sizable role for the Cleveland Browns so I think he is a very good you know RB5 RB6 selection if you know you go the zero RB route uh, and you take him as your RB6 he's one of the better 18th round picks in best ball right now uh, for all the reasons that you said and you uh, single-handedly made me start drafting him a little bit more 
Yeah, I mean, he was tendered by the Browns this offseason in an offseason where Kareem Hunt trade rumors were floated. Like, if Kareem Hunt gets traded, you know, say during the NFL draft or something like that, how high is Dearness going after that? I mean, is he like a 12th round pick? Like, he could skyrocket if Kareem Hunt gets traded. And even if that doesn't happen, like we've been saying, he has all the upside. In the three games where he got major opportunity last season, you know, he had 22 attempts for 146 yards on the ground you know he had 19 for 99 yards and seven receptions 25 for 123 and one like he has just been uber productive and i can't i can't i can't stop drafting enough of them but i think we've hammered that point out yep all right we're going to close out the show here by playing some audio from our new youtube series you can check this same video out on youtube and if you like what you hear we'll be doing these videos i mean god like five times a week so check them out on the youtube channel at the dfs dose this is a clip from our debate on javante williams and dalvin Like you said, they're going pretty much at the same point of the draft towards the end of the first round. And I think they're pretty similar in terms of their fantasy upside for 2022. If I had to pick the running back that I prefer, it would be Delvin Cook for 2022. I think that Delvin Cook, albeit has shown that he will miss games throughout his career, he hasn't played a full season. I still think he's one of the only workhorse running backs left in the NFL that also has an opportunity for for a significant role in the passing game as he was on pace to have his highest targeted season of his entire career last year. And the Vikings just recently have shown no inclination to use other running backs such as Alexander Madison unless Delvin Cook is dealing with injuries. So really you have Cook, Thielen, and Justin Jefferson as the main guys in that Vikings offense. So I like how the offense is consolidated around those three top guys. And I think the touchdown upside is extremely high as well with Delvin Cook. Obviously, like I said, the the injuries over his career are definitely a concern at this point. And it's honestly close. It's not like I hate Javante. I love Javante for 2022. But if we're just looking at it from, you know, you have one draft, that's it, one draft. And I'm at like the 108 and both are available. I would lean Delvin Cook. If I only had one draft to pick one of these guys. Well, I just want to say that I'm on the other side of it. You know, I'm definitely more favorable towards Javante this year. I think one of the big reasons is that I I prefer the offensive environment. And I don't even mean that just strictly from a Broncos versus Vikings standpoint. But when you zoom out a little bit and even just look in the context of the divisions, right? You've got three games per year where the Broncos are going to be facing the Chiefs, Chargers, and Raiders. I mean, you can't even tell me that all six of those interdivision matchups aren't going to have totals, you know, 28, 29, 30, and above. You look at the Vikings games, I mean, they're going to be in what's likely to be a lot of, like, low-totaled slogs, especially when uh, within their division going up against the Lions, the Packers, the Bears. Like, I, I just don't think the game environments are going to be as good. Meanwhile, we've got all these high-scoring potential games for the Broncos. They obviously upgrade to Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited. Meanwhile, the Vikings are dealing with Mr. Limited in terms of Kirk Cousins. So I don't love that. And 
obviously the the concerns with Dalvin Cook not being able to stay healthy are there, but I think that there's another concern that we may have started to see his decline, or, or not that I don't think he's going to be good this year, but we definitely saw a lack of consistency that we haven't seen in previous years. Dalvin Cook had four games in 2021 with under 10 fantasy points in full PPR. He didn't have a single game under 10 fantasy points uh, in, in all of 2020, so I don't know. I don't think that Dalvin Cook is declining, but I think the upside for Javante is extremely high, and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, with Javante, there's definitely a lot of projection involved because we obviously saw last year he split time with Melvin Gordon, and I don't think at this point we can't rule out a reunion between Melvin Gordon and the Broncos. Maybe they, you know, look to the draft to bring in another running back, and it really just depends on the offensive system in Denver and whether or not they are going to run a committee, you know, as most offenses in the NFL are a committee nowadays. But Javante obviously has shown just even in his rookie year that he can be a really effective running back in the receiving game, in the ground game, obviously, you know, breaks tackles at one of the highest rates in the NFL out of every running back. I just think with Dalvin, if he's healthy, you know, the volume's going to be there. Since 2020, he is number two in the NFL in rush attempts. So obviously the rushing volume is going to be there when healthy. And like I mentioned before, he's a factor in the passing game. He was fourth on the Vikings in terms of target share with 11%. And I think his 2021, he was just dealing with injuries at various points throughout the season. He got hurt early in the year, came back. He got hurt in the middle of the year. Then he came back once again and got hurt at the end of the year. Like I said before that, the injury concern is definitely in play here as he's shown that he can't stay healthy and play a full season. We know the volume is going to be there. We've seen the touchdown upside with Dalvin before in his career. And I just think that he's the last workhorses standing in the NFL. But it's definitely close between him and Javante. And like I said, I, I still love Javante for this year. And in best ball specifically, I will be drafting both. Delvin Cook, I mean, he he's just shown in his career that he's the guy. And I think that you're forgetting the most important thing of all. He he changed his jersey number. I'm glad you brought that up because I was, I was going to tell you that that's a major knock for him. I mean, aesthetically going from 33 to 4, the, the downgrade and swagger alone should knock him into being a second round pick, if you ask me. I mean, I think he's, I think he's more swagged out. You like four over 33? Yeah, and do you know what he said on switching to number four? He said, and I quote, you're going to see a version that you've never seen before. Something special. And that's just because he changed his number. Damn, I didn't see I mean, that. RB1 season overall might be in, it might be in play here for Delphi Cup. All right. I think that was a pretty good conversation, no? Yep. I, yep. I think I think everybody should be uh, subscribed to our YouTube and check out all the videos that we're going to start posting every day because we got to get on the YouTube grind. We do, and, and we got some good ones coming up this week. Absolutely make sure you check those out. And that is going to be it for episode 207 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Harver, Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on with the podcast or interact with us, you can join our Discord for free. The link to do so is in the show notes to the podcast. 
to everybody listening out there. We appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.